many of you enjoyed last night with Chris? Is that not amazing? Yeah. So we are just so thrilled to have her with us this weekend. And this morning she's going to share about the 821 campaign and human trafficking. And um, she, she mentioned a little bit about it last night, but we are just going to hear some amazing stories this morning. So will you please welcome Chris as she comes this morning to bring us a word. Hey, girls. How y'all doing? I brought my coffee up. Is that okay? Sorry, it's not caribou. Is that really bad? But I have to tell you, I went and um, uh, I had to get a second one. So I have a triple tall Americano. So you can imagine how caffeinated I am this morning, which is fantastic. Did you all sleep well? Um, I... I'm so excited this morning. Oh, thank you. Is that to put my coffee there? I'm going to try to be, like, cool because all these, like, cool speakers sit on stools. And um, how many think this is going to last for about five seconds? But I'm seriously trying to be, like, trendy this generation. I've got all these conferences and all these, like, cool pastors are sitting on stools. And I'm like, I am so old school preacher. I can't. I end up throwing the stool at someone. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see how we go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I got up this morning and I kind of twittered to the world how excited I was about this day because um, I, I just love that whole thing, bring your ring and, and kind of the... Uh, anyone ever seen Schindler's List? Has anyone... Um, you've got to go get them. Where? Do you not all get out? Okay, so you've got to go and hire the movie or download it because you'll never be the same. Um, I remember when I saw it, that was before I ever got involved in human trafficking, I only asked you if you saw it. I didn't ask you to chat to everyone about it. And um, <laughs> I lasted five seconds, did you notice? And so uh, th I remember then I'm bawling my eyes out in that ring scene, like sobbing way before trafficking. Um, and when he kind of took his ring off and he said, this ring, this ring could have been three or four more lives. And I'm like sobbing. And um, it was not long after that I went to Auschwitz. And um, I was in Poland, I go every year and I, I do a conference, I kind of started this women's conference there and God's really moving. Um, but, it, you know, Poland is really desperate for a move of God. But I went to Poland um, to Katowice and drove from there to Auschwitz and I studied um, German economic history and German history right through university and uh, of all of the genocides in the world, the one that most particularly kind of I've spent more time studying than anything else is the Holocaust and there probably isn't a country in the world um, where I've been and I probably go to about 40 a year where I haven't gone if they have a Jewish museum or a Holocaust museum that I don't go and spend a day there and um, it just really moved me so I had this opportunity to go to Auschwitz and I went and I um I remember walking around, totally shattered me so we kind of had the Schindler's List experience and um, I was thinking about this this morning and I'm bawling from the minute I get to, before I even get to Auschwitz, bawling my eyes out and just kind of walking around and uh, so moved by everything. I get to the ovens and, um, and really almost fell in a heap. I was, just, I was there with a German friend of mine and she was coming um, to speak in Poland, which is, was a really big deal for that kind of reconciliation to happen. And we're standing outside this thing. I'm just crying. And I remember thinking, God, how could people do this to one another? How, how could this have happened? How could we have sat through watching six million people killed? And, and I'm looking at these ovens going, how on earth did we allow 
human beings that are created in the image of God to be placed in these ovens. And I was crying. And I remember saying to God in that moment, um, if, uh, where was the church? Where were we during this time? Why were we silent? How did we allow this to happen? How did we stick our head in the sand and pretend that this had nothing to do with us? How did that happen? And I, I kind of made my own little vow with God. And I said, God, if there is anything in my generation that is like this, I will not be silent. I am not going to just kind of run away and, um, and pretend it didn't happen. And then I went and read the biography of Bonhoeffer and kind of saw that there were Christians at that time that were raising up their voices saying, this, this is inexcusable, we need to make a stand. So anyway, that all happens. And um, then you heard the story last night. I was speaking in Hillsong in, Lon in London, met these pastors. They invited me to speak in Greece. And they were in Thessaloniki. And I'd, I'd gone to Greece, to be honest. I go to the Greek islands, to Santorini every year. So I'd been to, to suffer for Jesus because someone has to. And so I kind of <laughs> want to connect with Paul's missionary journeys and just feel like what it would be like to be shipwrecked on a Greek island. So anyway... Um, <laughs> So I'd never been, though, to preach, and that was in Thessaloniki, and I kind of felt like I was in the Bible, you know, like his Thessalonians, and is this, like, really real? Because you think it's a movie till you go, oh, my gosh, it's like, really, someone was in Thessalonians writing the book of Thessalonians. And um, so I went to Thessaloniki, and I get off at the airport. I'm waiting for my bags to come. The carousel's going round and round. I mean, there's only two carousels. It's not, like, you know, anything major. And... Um, I look up at these posters. Now, this happened during the time when, I don't know if you remember, there was a young girl called Madeline that was taken in um, Portugal. And she was a British young girl, and so it was all over the press in Europe. And because I was in Europe, it was there all the time. I don't know how much press it got here in America. And so I'm um, looking, and there's pictures of kids. So for some reason, every airport in Europe was just full of kids. And because I read Greek... I'm looking at it and it says, missing, missing, missing. And um, it was a disproportionate amount. And for some reason, it just arrested me in a big way. I couldn't get my eyes off these kids and young women in their, like, uh, kind of late teens, but stunning Eastern European women. I said to the pastor that was with me, I said, you know, what, what is this? I go, why is there so many missing people? And anyway, that was kind of my big introduction to the world of human trafficking. Now, here I am, an international evangelist, part of the staff of one of the most influential churches in the world, uh, very, very close and doing a lot of work with Joyce Meyer around the world. So I've got all of these global Christian platforms doing a lot. Married at the time I was 40. I had a one-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, traveling more, we have not done under 300 hotel nights for the last decade in my family, our family, as we travel and do what God has called us to do. So I was already busy. I was already doing a whole lot of things. Most Christians would have thought, well, Christine, you're doing crusades and you're doing evangelism and you're doing all this stuff with Hillsong, you're doing all this stuff with Joyce Meyer, you're all around the world. Surely that's enough. And um, I started to do a whole lot of research and found out that there were 27 million slaves in the world today. Now, I didn't believe it, so I'm just telling you how it is. There's no way that I thought that was true. I'm thinking we don't live in um, 
the time of slavery anymore. This was the year that that movie Amazing Grace came out and William Wilberforce was, and we were celebrating the emancipation of people and we thought it was all great. And then I'm looking at it and thinking there are more slaves on the earth today in the 21st century than ever before in human history. I, I was stunned. I thought that's going to be the legacy. If someone doesn't do something about this, the legacy of the church in the 21st century is that there are more slaves on the earth today than ever before. So when should the Lord tarry? When they look through the history books, they're going to go, what was the effectiveness of the church on the earth? How effective was the church in the 21st century while we do all our Christian stuff? How effective are we? During all of our meetings, all of our conferences, all of our events, all of our women's gatherings, all the stuff that we do, Wow, how did they change the world? Well, obviously the church was so effective that there were more slaves on the earth in the 21st century than ever before. And I thought at that moment, that's not okay with me. That's not okay with me. I'm not going to have someone 100 years from now or 50 years from now go, where was the church like I was when I was sitting outside of those ovens in Auschwitz going, where were we? What were we frightened of? What didn't we want to confront? When one of the greatest travesties known to humanity, human slavery, exists on our watch. And then the more I began to untangle this, the more shattered I became. And um, in a moment, I'm going to show you a video which will give you an overview of trafficking. But I'll tell you about a story um, in February. And I'm leaving here. When I leave tomorrow after church services, I'm flying to Greece. Because out of all of that is how the A21 campaign started. And I made a decision that if God has given me an international platform to the body of Christ, it was not just so that I could be a mega superstar celebrity preacher, but it was so that we could use that influence to change the world and gather the girls and make a difference in our generation. That, that is actually what it's about. And so we started the A21 campaign and you heard some of that story where I met the lawyers and... Um, we began to bring change and justice and started a legal office, started a shelter against all odds, all odds, European Parliament, European Union. I went to the State Department, to Hillary Clinton's 2IC of Global Director of Women's Affairs, and she said to me, she couldn't believe, she goes, you're going to go where? You're doing what? She said, you know, you know there's a price on your head. And because um, as we're talking Russian mafia, Albanian mafia, this is not a joke, like, to be involved. And... Um, I kind of laughed. I said, well, you know, I died a long time ago. It's okay. So, and she just, <laughs> what are you smoking? And, um, and so the point is we started. And by God's grace, I could keep you here all day. And you need to go online. And if you don't know how to do that, get your kids to put you online. And, um, <laughs> and find out what God, because I don't want to spend all my morning doing that this morning. But I will tell you a couple of stories. One, one is very moving. We've, and we opened last week our transition facility in the Ukraine, which you don't even want to begin to know what a miracle that is in the Ukraine with the Russian mafia to start a transition facility. Our team moves to Bulgaria. The ex-head of the Bulgarian mafia is the president of the nation. It's one of the top three nations in the world when it comes to corruption. Um, and so, of course, we're just going to go where there's the most darkness because it's not really the size of the darkness, it's the magnitude of the light on the inside of us that is able to dispel that darkness. And I'm just kind of like, you know what, we get one shot at this thing called life. And um, I just want to show that the gospel works everywhere and that light is greater than darkness. And the only reason 
these injustices occur on the earth is because there's no light. Because in the absence of light, darkness will prevail. But you only need a tiny little bit of light to dispel the darkness and bring the life and light and justice and mercy and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to this planet. So we started and I was sitting in our shelter and there were 14 girls. And these 14 girls were from 12 different countries. We're talking Uzbekistan, Moldova, Albania. I mean, it's like the UN when you go to one of these meetings. And um, they were telling me their stories. And this one girl told me her story of how she had um, been shipped over in a shipping container with 60 girls to Turkey, to Istanbul. This was the same time that I was moving to America. So my house was being packed up and put into a shipping container. I'm like in shock going, you put furniture in shipping containers, not human beings. It was like, it was incomprehensible to me. And so she was telling me, and then she, she had like a, you know, these girls are under intense stress and they, they have a lot of post-traumatic episodes. Um, and so she's having one in front of me. And she was telling me how the oxygen tank, she kept calling it the bubble, the bubble, because she couldn't speak English well. She's going, the oxygen bubble, the bubble, the bubble burst, the bubble burst. And so what happened was the oxygen tank broke. And so the girls weren't getting oxygen. And when they opened the container in Turkey, 30 of the girls had died. And um, it was horrific. And her best friend, Anna, had died. And um, she's telling me, I mean, she's just like, you know, Anna. And she was just, she was so traumatized. So what they then did, because these girls thought they were coming to get a job. They had filled in application forms. They'd got working visas because what the traffickers do is they set up shelf companies that make it look like it's a legitimate business and they're getting girls and then they go to all the poor villages and they say, we can give you an opportunity for a job. You can send money back to your family. You can get out of poverty. They think they've got dreams like you and I have dreams. And um, they think I can become a hairdresser. I can become a nurse. I can, you know, and, um, and what they do is they, they call it organized crime because it's extremely organized. And it is the second fastest growing crime on earth is the trafficking of human beings. Um, the top growing is the traffic, trafficking of drugs. Then it's the trafficking of human beings. Then it's the trafficking of armaments. And that's UN stats. It's incomprehensible that this would happen. And so um, what they then did was um, they thought they were getting a job. They opened the container. These girls are dead. Then they take them, and often the traffickers will dress in police officer uniforms because what they try to do is break down your defences and make you think that law enforcement, there's no point going to law enforcement because they're not going to support you. So they put them in these apartments and then continue to rape them maybe five or six times a day to break them down. Now, they've got their passports. They've got their paperwork. They're in a foreign country, they don't have language, they don't have paperwork, they don't have passports. More often than not, the anti-trafficking authorities have been paid off, um, and so there's nowhere for these girls to go. And then what they did was they put these girls, the 30 remaining victims, on little rubber dinghies to take them across through the Greek islands into Athens and um, to put them into brothels. And so when they took them across, the Coast Guard was coming, and so in order not to get caught with the girls on the boats, the traffickers threw the girls overboard. Now, you've got to understand, most of these girls have never even seen water in a well, let alone oceans, let alone bathtubs. And um, because the girls couldn't swim, 25 of the girls drowned. And um, they just threw them over like excess baggage. Five remained, and there was a raid in an Athens brothel, and we got um, one of the girls into the shelter. She's telling me this story. I'm like thinking, if I was not sitting in this room, 
listening to this with my own ears, watching, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I, I, I would not have believed it. As she's telling me this, sitting next to her was a girl from Russia. That girl had just been rescued the day before. So when they first come into the um, transition facility, they don't even know if we're, we're traffickers because they've just been lied to, um, raped maybe 40 or 50 times a day. Some of these girls, one girl that had to testify in court testified how she had to service 100 men a day. I didn't believe that. I was trying to do the math. I thought, I'm married, okay, 100 times a day. That's like fairly full on until they took me to the place where this happens. And it's like a... A room um, with just little curtaining, just little partitioned curtaining, filthy mattress on the floor. And what happens is there's flat screen TVs on there and the client pays 20 euros for uh, 10 minutes. The first five minutes he comes into this little curtain room with the filthiest pornography playing on the flat screen and he basically gets five minutes to prepare himself. Then they throw her in like an animal and he can do whatever he wants to her for five minutes and then they go and pull her out and throw her into the next stall and then the next stall and then the next stall. It, it is horrific, horrific. And um, so this girl still doesn't know if we're traffickers because she's been promised things for the, this whole time and then we suddenly turn up and she doesn't know whether something's about to happen. So she looks at me and in very broken Greek, thick Russian accent, she said to me, why are you here? And um, I began to tell her. I began to tell her the story through an interpreter of um, the fact that I'd seen these posters and I began to tell her of a loving God in heaven that loved her and a company of women around the earth that believed in her and that believed that um, she had a, a hope and a future and a destiny and that Jesus Christ died for her and it's for freedom that Christ set us free and that nobody should live in slavery and, and the spirit of the Lord God is upon us because he's anointed us to set the captives free. Anyway, I'm telling her this whole deal. You would think that she would be excited because here's the big Christian coming to tell you that God loves you and I've come across the world to rescue you. Mid-sentence, she kind of looks over at me and in a almost haunting way, and to be honest with you, in the last um, year or so since this happened, I have not one day not thought about this. She yells out to me she, and she stops me and she says, Stop. And she goes, if what you are telling me is true, if this is true about your God, then why didn't you come sooner? And when she said that phrase, why didn't you come sooner, it, was, it pierced my spirit in a way I can't even explain to you. I just started bawling my eyes out and I said, you know what, honey? Right now I can't think of one reason why I didn't come sooner. See, I had my own little shinless list moment in there. What, what manicure was so important that I couldn't go sooner? What day out at the movies, comfortable little lifestyle, um, extension on my home, upgrade on my car, what was so important that I couldn't go sooner? And it was like my own moment of going, you know what, if what we say as the church is true, all of our conferences, all of this is why I'm glad we've got this moment in Sparkle. Because if what we're saying about God is true, if what we're saying about mobilizing the girls is true, then you know what? We are compelled to go. Because if we really believe what we say we believe, then it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can set people free. And that's not just something to be applauded. It's something we need, we need to be inconvenienced to cross the street and to go. 
So when those girls get pregnant in the brothels, they take them across the border to Bulgaria. This is why we're starting in Bulgaria. And they give birth, they have these things set up, the traffickers called infant farms. And what they do is the women give birth to newborn infants in those farms and then the traffickers take those infants and sell them into pedophile rings in Europe. And I'm like, you know what, that's not okay. It's not okay for me. It's not okay that then they'll take the girls after three years, they're worth 250,000 euros a year and then begin to harvest their organs and sell livers and sell hearts and sell um, kidneys. It's not okay with me. God did not create his daughters in his image to be harvested like cattle across the earth. And we can't meet here in Minneapolis in our Sparkle Conference and pretend this doesn't happen and pretend that we don't have a responsibility so that our daughters 50 years from now will be sitting outside like I was in the ovens going, where was my mum? What was my mum doing? Well, she was playing a Christian game. Well, what, what was, what, did this stuff really mean anything? And so as we gather our strength in Australia and you gather your strength here and we gather all of our strength together, you know, we can't all do everything, but all of us can do something and together we can do a lot that will bring change to our generation and we can stop this injustice. We can stop this injustice together. And, um, and I've given my life to creating pathways where this can happen. And I just want to read you a scripture. I, I mean, I could talk about this for months and tell you story after story. I'm just leaving enough time because I want to make sure you see the video because the video will just give, bring you up to speed of kind of how rescues happen and the breadth of the work of the A21 campaign. But I do want to read you a scripture that God spoke to this global evangelist with. I'm not trying to, I could pump you up because this stuff's very close to me, but I just want to lay it out for you. But you know, the night when I saw the posters, I went to my hotel room in Greece and I read this parable, which most of you know inside out. And it's where the man came and he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And um, the Bible says, and you know, the lawyer came and asked Jesus, and I'll just pick up verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. All of us, if you've been a Christian more than 25 seconds, have heard the story of the good Samaritan. Most of us know that. I had always thought I was the Samaritan. I'm crusades, evangelism, mission. I was the director of the Assemblies of God Youth Program in Australia, 15 years doing all, it's all I did. I always thought I was the Samaritan. Yet I was reading this and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, no, Christine, you're not the Samaritan. You're the Levite at best or the priest. Because you are so busy 
going to your next Christian event. The Levite and the priest weren't bad people. They were just busy Christian people. There were busy Christian people caught up in their busy Christian events that they were so busy going to their next Christian event, their next crusade, their next rally, their next evangelism session, their next conference, that they walked past the very person that I had sent for them to minister to. They saw that man as an interruption to their ministry rather than the object of their ministry. And as an Assemblies of God ordained evangelist, I heard a lot of language like, well, Christine, you're too busy saving the lost to get involved in this sort of thing. That sort of social justice stuff, that's kind of what someone else does, not us real evangelists. People don't maybe overtly say it, but there's that inference that it's less than secondary. It's not the real gospel work. And the Lord said to me, well, Christine, the Samaritan saw the man. He had compassion on him. And these were the words that were a game changer for me at 40 years old. And the Bible says, and so he went to him. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Christine, my church thinks they have compassion because they cry when they see a sad video or they get um, sympathetic. But sympathy and empathy is not compassion. Compassion is never compassion until you're willing to cross the street and get involved. That's the only time it's compassion. And he gave of his time, and he gave of his talent, and he gave of his treasure. And I was confronted at 40 years old with a moment of opportunity or something I would walk away with. Chris, this is your moment. Are you going to cross the street? Are you going to start to give of your time, of your talent, of your treasure? And that's where it all began. I had a one-year-old, a five-year-old. I lived on the other side of the world. I was already busy. But I had to make a decision of whether everything that God had done to this point, all of the platform, all of the influence was for me to cross the street and to start believing God all over again and say, okay, here we go. God, we've got to raise 10 million bucks a year. We've got to take this into Russian and Albanian. All the spirit of faith, all those scriptures, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. All of those scriptures of, you know, what is impossible with man is possible with God. All of that started to come alive for me because most Christians are in the prayer closet praying for signs, wonders and miracles and then spend their whole life avoiding the context in which a miracle can happen. I have seen more miracles occur in the last three years than in my whole combined 21 years of ministry before that. More, more miracles. Governments open, Daniel and Joseph situations across the world, let alone so many more saved than ever before. And so the truth is, What are we going to do in our generation? What's going to be our legacy? Are we going to go to bed at night hearing the echo of that girl? Why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you do something? Not everyone's going to go, but that's why we've allocated this time this morning because all of us can play a part. And what I love about what Becca's done is created an infrastructure by which we can get involved. And really with the A21 campaign, I don't need everyone running overseas. It's it's dangerous to do that. We need a systematic thought-through program, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. And so it's more important to get on board with what God's already doing and finding a place in that. The thing we just launched two days ago was the 2121 campaign, which would, you know, go online and check it all out. It's, It's 21, either $21 a month, a year, a day, whatever you can do, a week, whatever it might be. 
to say, come on, this is our contribution. And you get to see what this money does, what it practically does. And that's why we can go to nation after nations that were close to the gospel. We're going to go to Istanbul next year, close to the gospel, but are opening the door through A21. Because if you, if you guys want to put the CNN, who would have thought this? I'm going to show you the CNN thing and then I'll put the video on and Pastor Rob can come up. You know the day that Wiener came out? And um, I know. Okay, this is CNN homepage. CNN homepage, my claim to fame, Wiener and Christina. And um, there I am, right there. I was laughing my head off that only God would do this. I'm like, I'm on the page. Wiener resigns after sexting scandal. And there's Christina under Wiener. Okay, so. (laughs) But the point is that God, God raises this thing up and says, okay, homepage, CNN, four days. I'm laughing because there's Sarah Palin. I think there's another. Where's the the next one? Um, There's, where is she? Angelina is somewhere. Angelina Jolie's over there. There's another one on the CNN Freedom page that Demi is. God has taken us to the homepage of, of you know, one of the most prolific websites on the planet. God has, there is not a platform, secular or Christian, that in only three years, this is how I know it's the heart of God, because you can't make this stuff up if you try. You can't market this stuff up. Of all the things that I've done, this is the first time that I feel I'm strapped into a roller coaster ride that God is running, and I've just got to hang on for the ride. That's all this is, and have wisdom and discernment as to what to do. And um, country by country, nation by nation, things are changing. Traffickers are going to jail. I'm not just raising awareness. I'm not pretending there are people in shelters. There are real-life victims in shelters that are being rescued. We have an investigation team, and we're beefing that right up. And God is so God. It just cracks me up that nations of the world that are in the most poverty, that are in the news every day because they're bankrupting the planet, that it's just like Joseph in a time of famine, God saying, I'm setting you in the midst of there because God's got a much, much bigger plan. But slavery is not okay with God. It's not okay with God at all. Girls created in his image being sold to service 40, 50 men a day is not okay with God. When I, the, you know when it all changed for me when I looked at those posters? And at the time, my Sophia was one and Catherine was five. And suddenly it didn't become those girls, but they could have been my girls. Once it goes from them to mine, everything changes. Because what wouldn't you do to rescue your daughter? What wouldn't you do? And we have to think of it like that. Because actually everyone is God's son and daughter. And if you are born again and filled with the spirit of God, you can't just flick a TV screen and go, flick the channel. I don't care if people are starving. I don't care if people don't have access to water. I don't care if girls are being trafficked. You can't ignore it anymore because their pain is your pain. And what wouldn't you do? And you know the truth is when Jesus said, this is how they're going to know we're his disciples, by the love we have one for another. Social justice, good works. It's not this little nice thing we tack on to the conference to make us all feel good and to appease a good. No, the real work of the ministry is the platform. If I am worth my weight in salt as any kind of ascension ministry gift to the body of Christ, then it is only effective in as much as I mobilize the body to be the body. Our job is to train and equip the saints. What for? to do the work of the ministry. That's what it's all about. Not in here, but out there. And so we've started the A21 campaign for the one, 
when I started, it was if we could rescue one girl, if we could make a difference in one life. Little would I know, it's thousands of girls. Little would I know that we'd be on CNN homepage, that we'd be presenting to the European Parliament and the European Union, that I'd be in the State Department, that we'd be featured in the Global Trafficking in Persons report, that we would have the opportunity to awaken the global church across every stream to this injustice. It shows me that it's the heart of God. And compassion is never compassion until you take action. Really today what we're doing is giving you the opportunity to take action. We're giving you the opportunity to make a difference. If you go online to the A21 campaign website, join the 2121 campaign, add your voice, lend your strength to what God's doing. There's more information I'm sure at the table I haven't seen, but I'm sure that there are prayer guides, what, what the chicks can do. This is why we're getting breakthroughs and others aren't, because we're mobilizing the church to pray. We have a 21-day prayer guide, scriptures to pray, specific things to pray for. This is how strongholds are broken. And what the world doesn't have is the power of prayer. That's what we bring. They think I'm crazy. I go, oh, you know, I could do one Twitter and I have 50,000 women praying, or actually hundreds of thousands through all our different networks of women praying in a heartbeat. And then people wonder how traffic is getting in court? How are girls getting set free? It's the power of prayer that breaks demonic strongholds and allows things to happen. All of us can do that. And that's why we're, we're having these kind of um, moments in conferences and in meetings to give you the opportunity to get involved. And so, um, you know, I've got my, my Because band that I wear, my Because A21 camp. I can't tell you how many conversations on airplanes. I've got lawyers that do pro bono work just from seeing this and starting conversations. I don't have trinkets to sell trinkets. Um, but, but I do have stuff, T-shirts and stuff like this that opens the door to conversations so that you can make a difference. And I'm going to show you now the A21 video, then Pastor Rob's going to come up and, um, and then give you ways of being involved. So why don't you guys just check this out. for me to find out that right now in the 21st century there are more people trapped in slavery than ever before. One has to wonder how is this happening? You know we see these statistics like 27 million slaves but the truth is that numbers are numbing, numbers are dehumanizing and desensitizing and it becomes so easy to ignore suffering when it remains nameless or faceless. In fact, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem if it seems so large that none of us could make a difference. But if you can break that number down so that it represents one human being, one life, one story, then that changes everything. One story that profoundly impacted me was Natalia's. She went to a coffee shop to meet up with a guy that her friends introduced her to. She was so excited about going on a date. She remembered laughing and talking with him, thinking they were having a great time. What she didn't realize was when she went to the bathroom, he drugged her coffee, causing her to pass out. He then threw her in the trunk of a car as if she was nothing more than a piece of baggage. When he arrived at the Greek border, 
He simply paid off the security guards and entered the country freely. When she awoke, she was in a different country, chained to a bed. She was raped and beaten repeatedly. Two weeks later, Natalia was sold as a sex slave. to keep happening. Human trafficking is our modern day holocaust. We can't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the cry of millions who need our help today. Freedom is the right of every human being and is a cause we must all fight for. The whole reason we started the A21 campaign was to rescue, restore and rebuild these broken lives. Natalia found hope when she was rescued and brought to one of the A21 safe houses. We provide girls like Natalia with life skills, job training, and help them to take back ownership of their lives. Ultimately, restoring their dignity, giving them freedom, hope, and a brand new chance at life. A21 lawyers hope to see Natalia's trafficker sentenced to 15 and a half years in prison and given a 108,000 euro fine. When we don't allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the statistics, then you and I together can bring justice and freedom to those in need. We have such an incredible opportunity to make a difference in our world today. This is our time. This is our moment. We need to act now.